Today's episode of Play by Playcast is brought to us by our friends at Audible.com. That's right, I moved the ad on you. Usually it's in the middle, today we put it up front. Audible.com, free trial, 30 days. If you go to audibletrial.com slash pxpcast, they will give you a free 30-day trial of audible.com. And in addition to that, they'll give you a free audiobook for you to keep. Look, we all love audio. We all spend time in our cars or at the gym or walking the dog, listening to podcasts. Statistically speaking, you're listening to five other ones, including this one. We love audio. So why not take advantage of audible.com? They've got legitimate book titles, almost 200,000 of them. And we're talking about like the books you want to read. You know, when you're leaving the library, not nobody knows that because I'm the only, I'm, I'm one of four people that still goes to the library. I mean, you know when you're leaving the library and they have like a book sale at the at, at the door, and it's like these are all the books that we're getting rid of. You can have them for two dollars a piece. You're like, oh, well, let me stop and see what books they are, and it's like always some like random romance novel that clearly nobody's checked out in 20 years by an author you don't know, but that has very pretty graphical work on the front cover. Um, they don't have. Well, I mean, they might have those books on Audible.com, but it's not like that kind of book sale. You go to Audible.com, audibletrial.com, slash pxpcast, you will have the newest releases, the biggest hit titles, Girl on the Train, audibletrial.com, slash pxpcast. End of ad. This is Play-By-Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told... A play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-By-Play cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Dalton looking for an open target, can't yeah. find one, sprints down the middle of the field, nice. racing between the hash marks inside the 25 to the 24, the Red Sea parted and the Red Rifle took off. All right, welcome back into another episode of PXP Cast. My name is Joel Godet. Thanks as always for the subscribe, the stream, the download, the rating or review. If you have a second to throw a couple of stars and a couple of kind words our way or unkind words, totally up to you. Uh, you can do that on iTunes uh, right now or when this podcast is over. But uh, my name is Joel Gadet. I'm the play-by-play voice of the Ball State University Cardinals and your host of PXP Cast, a podcast for play-by-play broadcasters about play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster, a professional development pod that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. The one we talk to today, Dan Horde of the Cincinnati Bengals, Cincinnati Bearcats, and sometimes you see him with the Cincinnati Reds doing some things as well. We'll get into Dan here in just a second. Uh, but quick note that popped into my mind yesterday or the other day um, while I was playing softball, and I thought it carried over to broadcasting fairly well. Because we talk on this podcast about, you know, consider the listener. It's the, the Marty Glickman uh phrase always consider the listener and that comes to everything like every point never take the listener for granted and I had a moment that triggered that for me when I was playing softball on Wednesday night playing a slow pitch league and I'm at second base ground ball well, it wasn't a ground ball it was like a humpback liner that bounced in front of me 
um, about 10 feet. And then short hopped. It was going to be a tough one to field. And then out of nowhere, the guy who's coming from first runs in front of the ball and it strikes him. And at that point, like it took a second for me to react, but I'm like, okay, I let the ball go, ran off the field. Innings over. There were two outs. And a couple other guys figured it out. And the umpire then came out and said, you know, batter's out, live ball hit him. Um, but there was a weird reaction from people. They didn't quite understand. Like it took a second for it to sink in, if at all, for, for a couple of people. Um, and that leads to like the, you know, five seconds of everyone yelling out, like it hit him, he's out. And then later in the game, guy on our team hit a triple. And as he's pulling into third base, the throw from the outfield hits him and gets away. Turned third, scored. And there were a couple of people, at least, um, who, who kind of had that reaction of like, well, the ball hit him. Why isn't he out? Well, it wasn't a batted ball. It was a thrown ball. You're not out. And it just made me think about it from the broadcaster's standpoint of, you know, in the game of baseball, or in this case, slow pitch softball or softball, uh, what happens if you get hit by a ball in certain situations? Clearly unsettled science to at least a handful of people. It, it's one of those things that, that we take for granted, I think, as broadcasters, because it seems like it's a rule that like, oh yeah, he, he's out or he's not out. Um, but always consider how anybody else will perceive what has just happened on the field. Like, don't assume that everybody is as rock solid in the rules or in any rule as hopefully we all are as broadcast. All right, let's dive into it with Dan Horde. Uh, I've known Dan since I met him in 2009. He's a Syracuse guy as well. I don't think I, I had to have interacted with him when I was in college. Uh, so I've, I've met him before 2009 because he was the voice at Cincinnati when I was in school. So we would have had to have crossed paths. Um, but I started to get to know Dan a little bit more in 2009 when my first job out of college was as the number three radio guy for the Buffalo Bisons. Dan at that time was uh, one of the two broadcasters with the Pawtucket Red Sox. Uh, so we interacted back and forth uh, a little bit then. And, and since then, Dan has been one of my hands down favorite guys to listen to in this industry. Uh, and I'm fortunate that I can listen to him old school. Uh, he's an easy listen for me because for the most part, I can turn on 700 WLW in my car uh, in Cincinnati. It it comes through loud and clear in Indianapolis, and I can hear Bengals games or Bearcats games uh, fairly easily and, and get uh, some Dan Horde in my life uh, whenever they're playing and whenever I want to on a, on a Saturday or Sunday or, or basketball season on whatever week night they play. Uh, but Dan is phenomenal. His personality shows through in his broadcasts. He is fundamentally solid. Uh, you will always know what's going on. You will always be informed. You will always be entertained. Um, you know, you, you like to say if you come to a broadcast and you have fun, you learn something, you laugh, you know, be educated, be entertained. Dan Horde is going to do that. And uh, I was thrilled that I got a chance to sit down with him and uh, finally have him on the podcast. He's a guy I've wanted to have on in person because he's so close and it just hasn't ever worked out. Uh, but two guys that live two hours apart finally sat down in North Carolina to tape this episode of PXPCast. Dan Horde, the reigning Ohio State Broadcaster of the Year, Dan Horde, is our guest this week on PXPCast. 
It's cool in Ohio because there are so many sportscasters that I admire in my own state. Marty Brenneman, first and foremost, in Cincinnati. Paul Keels at Ohio State. Tom Hamilton with the Indians. Jim Donovan with the Browns. I can't believe he's never won because he is fantastic. So to win it in Ohio really is an honor. Have, is this the first time for you? Second time. Second time in four years. Uh, the last time was uh, really fun because... Number one, I saw a lot of friends in the business that I hadn't seen in many, many years. And then secondly, I met people that I've admired for a long time and became friendly with them. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing that again tonight at the uh, awards ceremony. And that's a great part about this experience. And we're recording this as we sit here in Winston-Salem at the uh, NSMA Awards weekend. Uh, Who did you meet the first time that was cool for you? And and what's it like to be back around and sitting with a Kevin Harlan panel for an hour, just listening to him talk about charts and prep and drunk fans on the field (laughs) well kevin harlan is unbelievable he is the best football radio play-by-play announcer by far and he sounds the same in person he does he's so good um and it was really interesting listening to him today just because how seriously he takes his job critiquing himself with a checklist and going back through game play after play game after game making sure that he does the basics i don't do that and the fact that the checklist was apparently too long to really break down what was on it or or that it was like proprietary and he didn't (laughs) want to share exactly what he uh, goes back and checks every game so i listen back to myself at least most of the games that i do but not with a checklist and and maybe i will start doing that to try to get more out of my self critiques but uh, to answer your first question the previous time that i came i would have to say that the person i was most excited about meeting and really have developed at least a bit of a friendship since uh, was Gene Deckerhoff uh, because Gene has been doing what I'm fortunate enough to do for many, many years, and that is the college football NFL combo where he does Florida State and Tampa Bay. So it was fun talking to Gene about how he's done it, how he's managed the travel over the years, and he's nuts. So I will typically miss a University of Cincinnati game every year because it's just virtually impossible. Your job's released in the same city. Yeah, which is helpful. Um, But roughly once a year, I just can't get from point A to point B without a private jet, and I don't have access to one. Gene is so crazy about doing both that one year when Tampa Bay played in London, he did the first half of the Florida State game before then getting on the plane and going to London. I'm thinking if you are Mean Gene's fill-in, are you saying, come on, Gene, can I get four quarters when you're in London the next day? I mean, at least the guy that fills in for me typically gets a whole game when I have to miss one. But, uh, yeah, so meeting Gene was great. Uh, talking to Mark Boyle uh, from the Indiana Pacers, a guy that I admire, having the opportunity to listen to him uh, when I'm driving through that area was a lot of fun. And there have been guys like this over the past few days. Pete Pranica, who does the Memphis Grizzlies, is a tremendous broadcaster, and this is the first time I've had the chance to visit with him so that always happens and uh, I hope I'm lucky enough to win it again because there will be a new cast of characters that I will never otherwise get the chance to meet it's funny because you think about like broadcasters at a certain level you just like assume they all know each other so for you to say like to be able to meet Pete Pranica like I think we just all take it for granted that like in the offices and you just hang out in a room together (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, we don't get that opportunity now. We have the good fortune of having attended Syracuse. So there's that network where you do know so many guys in the business and many of whom have reached the top of the profession or close to the top of the profession. So that network exists. Uh, but there are a lot of other guys that are great announcers that did not go to SU that I've never met before. And this is really the opportunity to meet them. All right, let's talk about the two uh, two teams at the same time deal for you, like you talked about with Gene Deckerhoff. Uh, how do you keep your sanity, particularly in November-ish, once it becomes a football-basketball football triumvirate? Mm-hmm. The most difficult thing that I had to figure out when I first got the opportunity to do both the Bengals and the Bearcats was how was I going to manage my prep? Because the first year I just kind of did it and didn't really have an organized schedule. And I realized that that really wasn't working well for me. So I really tried to plot out, all right, what do I need to do when in order to be able to handle this job and do it as well as I possibly can. So I have come up with a very organized system that works for me. And that's been the key to maintaining my sanity. And once I kind of figured that out, it got a lot easier. What do you do? I mean, and I, I've always been curious about, like when Harlan's talking about, he sits at home and you know goes over stuff. Like, do you sit at home and do your prep? Do you have an office with the Bengals? Like, where do you go? Where does your work get accomplished? And and where are you where you figure you are most productive in accomplishing all of that? I'm most productive at home. I do have a cubicle in the press area at Paul Brown Stadium, the Bengal Stadium. So I do a lot of my work there, but most of my prep work gets done at home where there's no other uh, noise or stimuli uh, in the room, no reporters joking back and forth and and the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, the rabbit hole that you go down uh, when you're in that environment. So when I'm home, particularly at night, uh, that's really the best opportunity for me to break out the multicolored pens and uh, look at all the press materials I have, watch previous games, et cetera, in order to be preparing my spotting board and get the work done that I need to get done. Walk me through the checklist. Uh, what's the system that you found works best for you to, to prep for multiple games simultaneously? Well, it's kind of a days of the week thing. So Monday night is the night that I am going to get the bulk of my work done for the Bengals opponent. So I'm going to watch the shortened version of their previous game on NFL.com. They boil the game down to uh, a much easier uh, length to watch where they basically remove all of the time spent in between plays. So it's basically play, 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 play. You can watch the whole game in less than an hour. So I'll do that. And then I will get at least the basics of my spotting board done for the Bengals opponent. So then as the week goes along, I can add things, but the basics are done. And I get that done on Monday night for a couple of reasons. One, it's good to have one out of the way early. And then secondly, I will host Marvin Lewis's TV show. We tape on Tuesday morning. So if I've got the Bengals opponent done on Monday night, I'm prepared to ask informed questions for that show on Tuesday. And then I don't have a lot of other work to do on Tuesday because that is the Bengals players day off when they play a Sunday game. So once I am done with that show, then I can turn the rest of Tuesday into my University of Cincinnati opponent preparation day. So I will try to watch their previous game 
or one of their previous games. It's not quite as easy to do with them because it'll typically be a game that I've taped on my uh, DVR and it may be a few weeks old. It may be the previous week. But in any case, try to watch one of their games and then get the basics of my Cincinnati opponent board done. Now, in the past, that would then prepare me to do the coaches radio show, which would be on Thursday night. This year, that is going to be on Tuesday night. So I'm really going to have to try to get that work done immediately after doing Marvin Lewis's TV show that, again, I can ask informed questions when I do the Luke Fickle show on Tuesday night. So if I get Bengals opponent done Monday, University of Cincinnati opponent done on Tuesday, now as the week goes along, I continue to add information to both, uh, but I've really got the basics done early in the week. And then as the week goes along, I've got a a two-hour Bengals radio show I have to do on Wednesday. I've got a three-hour Bengals radio show I have to do on Friday. So that's going to take away a lot of time that maybe in that first year that I would still be thinking I would have some time to do uh, prep work, and I just don't have that time. So it's critical for me to get the bulk of my prep done on Monday and Tuesday. Has Giovanni Bernard ever played for the Bearcats by accident? (laughs) No, but fans constantly ask me, do you ever say touchdown Bengals when it's supposed to be Bearcats? And, you know, I'm finding I'm looking for wood to knock on. It hasn't happened yet, but I did slip once on a talk show and refer to the Bengals when it was supposed to be the Bearcats. So I do have one slip, but thankfully it has not happened while doing the play-by-play of one of those. Just stick with Cincinnati. You're good. I probably should. (laughs) Um, What do you do for five hours on the radio uh, on Wednesdays and Fridays? Well, I do both of those shows with my color commentator, Dave Lapham. So um, that fills up about four hours. Yeah, that fills up a lot of the time because Lap is unbelievably good. Uh, But secondly, we get guests. So on the uh, on the Wednesday night show, we're typically going to have a guest in each of the two hours. It could be the TV color guy that's doing the game that week. It could be a former Bengal, whomever, somebody interesting. We get typically get good guests. And then on the Friday show, same thing for the first two hours. And then in the final hour of the three-hour show, we get a current Bengal to join us at a local restaurant. So that makes that final hour go quickly. Where in there do you get a chance to go to practices for both teams, talk to players for both teams, and how does all of that fit in uh, to a satisfactory level for you? You don't get to go to that much uh, in terms of practices during the regular season. During training camp, I go to every one, beginning to end, uh, because you need to, because in the preseason, Andy Dalton's not going to get a lot of snaps, and that goes for every position on the team. So you really need to know, guys. 60 through 90 well um, during the the season we're allowed to go to the first 25 minutes of practice sometimes I do sometimes I don't depending on what else I have going on that day you really don't see much during that time period anyway Uh, it's best used to see who's injured are guys out there participating are they in uniform are they working with a trainer on the side of the field other than that you don't see that much football during that time period but in terms of talking to the players uh, the Bengals locker room is open every day so I'm in there talking to guys every day and some of it is formal interviews that I'll be using on shows and on the pregame show and stuff like that and then other times it's just um, informal stuff where you are looking for anecdotes and nuggets and things that uh, you can either work into the game broadcast or into these shows. What's different in terms of those locker rooms? I'm sure even at his heyday like it's probably easier for you to get a couple minutes with Tony Pike 
one-on-one where he can talk to you in a comfortable setting than it is for you to get a couple of minutes with Andy Dalton one-on-one where he can talk to you in a comfortable setting. Um, How do you establish relationships on both teams and how is it different on both teams when you're dealing with college kids and professionals? It is easier with the college kids because there are just fewer of us looking for their time and the University of Cincinnati is trying to promote these guys. So if you are a reporter trying to interview a University of Cincinnati football player, they will do as much as they can to help make that possible. Not just for me, but really for anybody that wants to promote their athletes. With the Bengals, uh, it is a little bit more difficult, particularly with somebody like Andy, just because of the demand for his time. But like I said, it's open every day. I'm there every day. Uh, Some days of the week, a lot of people go because it, it might be the first time they're available before their next game. And so all of the local TV affiliates will be there, writers from markets that are nearby but might not come every day. And then later in the week, you might be there with a couple of beat guys and, and maybe my broadcast partner, and it's open season. And you have uh, pretty much anybody at your disposal. So by being there every day, you have plenty of opportunities to get anybody you need. If I would have told you that you'd be, at this point in your career, uh, an NFL guy and a, an FBS college guy, um, what would you have thought 20 years ago? I know baseball's always been a big passion, and you did it up until. Um, was it right up until you got the Bengals job, or when did you stop doing the Paw Sox? But kind of what was, what was your goal? Where did you see yourself, and how's it played out that way? My ultimate uh, dream when I first started out was to be a Major League Baseball team's announcer, to be doing the games for a Major League Baseball team every day. And that never worked out. But when I say that, it, it sounds like, like that was the dream and nothing else compared, where in truth, when I went to Syracuse, I honestly think if I had gone back to my tiny hometown radio station and done the high school game of the week, I would have been happy. I mean, I had bigger dreams than that, but more than anything else, I just wanted to be in the business. So the fact that I'm doing the NFL and I've had the opportunity to cover Super Bowls as a TV sports announcer and Final Fours and big events like that, reality has exceeded my dreams. So I I, honestly, I'm one of those guys that pinches myself every day that I get to do this and they pay me. What was kind of your thought process on it, too? Because you were a very successful TV sports anchor. Um, Was the was the you know, if the goal is to be a from day one to do play by play for an MLB team, what leads you to the TV anchor path? and you got a wry smile, so I, maybe that, I know where this is going. But um, in, in terms of how did you attack it as far as this step will help me get here? Maybe this step doesn't help me get exactly where I want to go, but it will be useful to get me somewhere near it. Uh, it never went according to my plans. So virtually every job that uh, I've had in my career, I didn't apply for. And almost everyone I applied for, I didn't get. And I think that that's that's true for a lot of people. So I started out as a minor league baseball announcer in Syracuse after I graduated. And who were you with, by the way? I was with the Syracuse Chiefs. Well, uh, partner wise. Oh, I didn't have a partner initially. Uh, Then I did a year of games with Ken Levine. Hollywood screenwriter turned Major League Baseball announcer, which was awesome. Then I did games with Joel Marinas, legendary voice of the Orange, like 25 years earlier, who had kind of come out of retirement to to get back into broadcasting. So I had a few different partners during those years, but I did the games alone when I started. Uh, So I was doing minor league baseball and thought I was on the track to do Major League Baseball and had a couple of interviews early on. And then 
Mike Tirico, who I had known at Syracuse, was the uh, weekend sports anchor at the CBS affiliate in Syracuse. When he graduated from college, he got promoted from weekend guy to Monday through Friday guy, and the guy who had been the Monday through Friday guy didn't take to the demotion all that well, so he moved on to a different career, and they needed a weekend guy, and Mike suggested uh, me to the news director. I had done no TV other than college class TV, um, but he convinced the news director to give me a tryout. They offered me the job. Initially, I thought I was going to continue to do like a few innings at the home games because I love baseball. Um, and I did that for a while, but really my, my career just took off in a different direction. And I did TV for about 12 or 13 years and then kind of morphed back into being a play-by-play guy, which is really what I enjoy doing the most. So I'm glad that this is the way it's played out. Take me back to Mike Tirico, circa age 23. Uh, we've had Dave Ryan on this podcast, and he used to say you'd have this guy in a briefcase and a puffy winter sports team jacket and a hat, and like professors would genuflect as he walked by. Uh, what was Mike Tirico like to you? Well, you know how it works at Syracuse. So when you're an upperclassman and you're at WAER, the student radio station, or one of the two student radio stations, a freshman gets assigned to you to be your writer on your sports casts, and Mike was the guy that was assigned to work with me. So Mike is been very gracious over the years. He always talks about how I was his mentor and taught him the basics of the business. And, you know, I had nothing to do with his success. I realized that. But uh, the upperclassmen back then all said to each other, have you heard this Tariko kid yet? Have you seen Tariko yet? This guy's unbelievable. So he was an outlier. We knew. When I got to Syracuse, Sean McDonough and Greg Papa were both one year older than me, and it was the same thing with those two guys. They were network-level announcers as college students, and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, they were as good then as anybody you hear now. So. I am guessing it would have been the same for you. It was incredibly intimidating for me to show up as a freshman hoping to get into this business. I, you know, I was kind of a big deal in my little hometown um, trying to get into the business. And then you, you come there and there are these two guys that are one year older than you that are finished products. And I'm thinking, I have no chance. But then... I'm interacting with my other college buddies and hearing their work and they're listening to mine and we're critiquing each other. And then you realize, okay, I'm just like the rest of these guys trying to figure it out. And then there are these outliers. So Mike was one of those guys. We knew he was going to be big. Did I know he would be one of the greatest sports announcers of all time? Uh, Probably not, but he is. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day when he is calling the Super Bowl on TV because that day's not very far away. Yeah, who else were you with? Because I, I kind of look back at those years. That's like the glory age of W8ER. Because like in an eight-year span, it's like a who's who of anybody that you know nowadays. It was incredible. Uh, so when I was a student, my fellow students included Sean McDonough, did Monday Night Football the last couple of years, Greg Papa, the longtime voice of the Oakland Raiders, who at one point did the Oakland Raiders, San Francisco Giants, and San Antonio Spurs simultaneously. How about that trio? At the same time, uh, Bill Roth, longtime voice of Virginia Tech until a couple of years ago when he left for UCLA and now he's doing ESPN stuff. Tony Caridi, 
voice of West Virginia for more than a quarter of a century. One of my college roommates was Jim Jackson, TV voice of the Philadelphia Flyers. Another of my college buddies was Craig Minervini, longtime Miami-based sports announcer. Dave Ryan was there when I was there. Todd Callis was there when I was there. And I'm going to miss a million people. Was, was Bird around at that time? Uh, Ian came a little bit later, uh, so I, I knew him a little bit. I was already working at Channel 5 when he was really kind of uh, making a name for himself as a uh, student radio person in, in Syracuse. Who is this sarcastic freshman that keeps walking around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he came just a little bit later than me. But, I mean, that was really an unbelievable run to all be there at the same time. And I say it all the time, and it's true. I learned more from my fellow classmates than I did from any professor. Not that the professors weren't good, but we were such geeks we would watch games together and pick apart the announcers. And our non-wannabe sports announcer buddies watching the games would be like, would you guys shut up and just watch the game? This is brutal. But we couldn't help ourselves. And it was the best possible training, at least for me. It's funny. I mean, I was just on Say the Damn Score a couple weeks ago, and uh, Logan Anderson asked about what it is about Syracuse. And I was like, I don't want anybody at Newhouse to kill me. But I was like, the the best thing about that place from a broadcast standpoint is AER, the relationships and the fact that we all learn from each other as yes. we go um and obviously what you get academically is huge too but it's the relationships and the way that that station functions that makes it so special and the quality of the students that that it attracts so so many of the committed passionate wannabe sports announcers from all over the country uh, that can go that can get in go there and you wind up learning so much from them because they're so talented and it, it shows with the jobs that they uh, land when they get out and i got cut as a freshman so i don't I, I start all <laughs> over again um you said you didn't ever get or you didn't apply for any job you've ever gotten um not many. well many. Some, but not many did you apply for the bengals job or how did that one come to you no so I applied, well, I've applied for the Cincinnati Reds jobs a couple of times when it's been open, and the most recent time that it was open, uh, I was one of the guys that was interviewed and didn't get the job. That particular year, they wound up hiring two people, Jim Kelch and Paul Keels. Paul Keels, the you know, spectacular longtime voice of Ohio State football and basketball. So I was doing the Pawtucket Red Sox at the time, in addition to doing Ohio State back then, Paul Keels did the Bengals preseason TV package. So it would be three or four preseason games on regional TV. Cincinnati, Columbus, Dayton, Louisville, stations, markets like that. So when, when I didn't get the Reds job, and Paul did, the Bengals needed somebody to do preseason TV. And since I had been doing University of Cincinnati football, for years up until then. They knew of my football work. I had name recognition in the market. So they reached out to me in Pawtucket to find out if I could get out of three Pawtucket games to do the Bengals preseason TV package. So fortunately, my boss let me do that. I missed a few Pawtucket games. I did a season's worth of Bengals preseason TV, which was fun. And then uh, at the end of that year, things did not work out with Paul Keels and the Reds. So, you know, I felt badly for Paul, but I also felt badly for me because I figured, well, he's going to be available again. He did the Bengals preseason package for 10 years. They'll go back to using him since he's in that area and I'm out in New England. And it was fun while it lasted so much for me. 
So I was just dreading getting the phone call from the Bengals saying, hey, you did a nice job for us, but Paul's available again. We're going back to him. Thanks anyway. So sure enough, I don't remember the exact date, but March or May or whenever it was, uh, I see the, the name of my Bengals contact come up on my cell phone, and I'm just kind of bracing myself to handle the phone call with class and dignity and be thankful that I had the opportunity. So the phone call begins, we make some small talk, and then completely out of the blue, he said, would you have any interest in being our radio play-by-play guy? Never knew the job was going to become available, but what happened is, uh, as is the case with a lot of professional sports teams now, they decided to take their rights in-house, and for the first time, they had the freedom to hire and pay anybody they wanted to. So apparently, I made enough, a good enough impression on those three preseason games that they thought that I would do a good job as the radio guy. So again, never knew the job was going to be open, didn't apply for it. And they called me. So sometimes it works out that way. It also unified you uh, professionally because you no longer had to travel between New England and Cincinnati for work. You were all based out of Cincinnati. Um, but I know there was a hiccup there because your wife is also uh, quite good at what she does in a journalistic fashion. Uh, before we get further into that, uh, let's get you into trouble. Uh, who's the better broadcaster in your family? My wife, Peg Rasconi, <laughs> and it's not close. Although she is no longer working in local TV news, but she did for many years. She was at WBZ TV in Boston for many years, one of the great TV stations in the country, a CBS O&O, and she was one of their top reporters for more than 10 years. So uh, my wife is, was, is, however you want to look at it, really good at what she does. How do you how do you make that work uh, from a, if you want to get into it on a personal side, a marriage standpoint, but also just a sanity standpoint of having two jobs and two lives, um, not in two separate time zones, but pretty dang close. Well, there was a long stretch where we were married and living in separate cities. So she was in Boston working for WBZ. I was in Cincinnati working for the Fox affiliate and doing University of Cincinnati football games and basketball games on the radio. And as we would tell our parents, who were both panicked, or all four of them were panicked, it only needs to make sense to two people. And it worked for us. During those years, we had no children. We were both kind of professionally obsessed. So in my case, I wound up having a tremendous situation when I was still at the Fox affiliate, because as I mentioned, I also did the University of Cincinnati football and basketball games on the radio, and my TV station made that work, even though I had a crazy schedule. And then I also started doing the Reds TV pregame show on Fox Sports Ohio. So I had three jobs at the same time, loved them all, but that wasn't going to be great for my partner if Peg had lived in Cincinnati. I was never home. But she was in Boston, and as a person at her TV station at that time who was married, but her husband wasn't in town, and she had no kids, she was the person at her TV station that could have a bag packed at all times. And whenever there was breaking news anywhere, she could be the easiest person to put on a plane. So, for example, when the Pope died, her TV station sent her to Rome. She was there for three weeks. The funeral, the succession, the smoke coming out of the Sistine Chapel. Imagine covering that, which my wife had the opportunity to do. So like I said, we were both really into our careers. We both loved what we were doing, and it only needed to make sense 
to two people. So we saw each other as much as we could. Since we had to spend money to see each other, we would often spend a little more and see each other in great places. So before we had our son, we traveled all over the world. We kind of did things backward. You know, we traveled first and then had a child. Uh, but as we were nearing our 40th birthdays with no children, we and we really wanted to have children. So we decided to try. And fortunately, she got pregnant pretty quickly. And then the two city thing was no longer going to work. So that's when we both kind of started looking at the markets we were working in to see what made the most sense. And when I got the Pawtucket opportunity, even though I took a big pay cut, because I wanted to still consider the possibility of being a Major League Baseball announcer, I thought that that made sense. It got me back to where she had a great job, and I did that for five years before the Bengals' opportunity came about. Oh, and then you basically flew back just to Cincinnati just to do the games for the Bearcats, right, and lived in Rhode Island. Yes, so when I left the Cincinnati market to do the Pawtucket Red Sox games, I told the University of Cincinnati that I would love to continue to do the games if I could, but in order to do that, they were going to have to fly me back and forth. And, and they said yes? Initially, they said no. Okay. Initially, uh, they, they, first they said they would think about it, and they talked about it with a radio station and tried to find a way to see if, you know, between the two of them they could pay for it. And uh, my, and the first month of my first year at Pawtucket, I got a call saying, hey, you know, we wish we could do this, but it's just not going to work out. We're going to start looking at some other announcers. And I left, so I got it. I, I was disappointed, but I kind of thought that was going to be the case. So they looked at some other announcers and talked to some people. But uh, ultimately, a month or two months later, they came back to me and said, you know what, we think we found a way to finance this if you still want to do it. And I did. So I'm incredibly fortunate that they were willing to do it. So for those five years that I was in Pawtucket, I continued to do University of Cincinnati football and basketball games, even though I never had a home game. Let's go into the uh, the tactful nature of those conversations, because how do you broach that subject to go to an employer? Um, and it goes in a lot of different ways uh, to say like, hey, I'd love to do the games, but you've got to fly me to them. Or um, to go to Cincinnati and say, hey, I also want to do the Bengals stuff. It means I'm going to have to miss some things. Is that okay with you? Uh, there are there, I, I know there are a lot of people in athletics that would not be okay mm -hmm. with that. Um, how do you get people to be okay with that? And, uh, and why should they be? Well, let's take those are two separate conversations. So the first time when I'm leaving to move to New England, they knew why uh, my wife was expecting a child. We had lived in two separate cities. So that's the reason why I was moving. Um, so it was an honest conversation. I'm moving. This is why I'm moving. I love doing the games. If I continue to do, if I could continue to do the games, that would be great because it's not going to conflict with my Pawtucket schedule. But I understand if you can't pay for this. So it was really just letting them know that I'm moving. I would still like to do it, but it's going to cost you more money for me to do it. And again, I'm incredibly grateful that they found a way to do it. Uh, then the second conversation, when the Bengals offered me the opportunity to be the radio play-by-play -play announcer, it was in the lockout season. They were uh, not laying off people, but people were kind of on hold for in a lot of NFL towns um, during the lockout, and that was the case in Cincinnati. So they were not bringing on full-time employees. So when they offered the position to me and my color commentator, Dave Lapham, it was as freelance employees that would be paid X amount, but we weren't getting uh, benefits and 401k and things like that. So 
I had to figure out, okay, well, let's figure out the finances. If we move back to Cincinnati and my wife gives up her great job, how are we going to pay for things like this? What if Cincinnati gave me the money for the plane tickets as straight cash? (laughs) (laughs) Well, after talking to them, I figure one way that this would all make sense is if I could be like Bill Hillgrove in Pittsburgh or Gene Deckerhoff with Florida State, if I could do the college game on Saturday and the NFL game on Sunday, now I've got two sources of income that allow us to have the the money we need to to raise our child and so forth. So uh, I started with the Bengals and they thought about it for a while and ultimately decided, yeah, we're willing to let you do that if you can assure us that you'll never miss any games. (laughs) And then I went to the University of Cincinnati and had that conversation with them. And in their case, they looked at it as a great thing because now they will no longer have to fly me back and forth. And yes, I would have to miss the occasional game, but they like that trade-off. They like the voice of the Bengals. got the voice of the Bengals and they also have somebody that's been doing their games for a long time that's got some uh, credibility built up with their fan base so they were really excited to have me moving back to Cincinnati so they were very happy that uh, that worked out. Why did the whole thing make, you said it only had to make sense to two people. Uh, Why did it make sense to two people? For a lot of us, because we've had the conversation many times on this podcast where like it's hard to be a human in this industry Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to have any kind of interpersonal relationships in a lot of cases. Um, Why did that work for the two of you guys uh, and, and how can other people draw from that to maybe apply to their own lives? I don't know that they can. Like I said, two people. I mean, it was <laughs> me and Peg, and for us, it worked. We were, uh, we were not particularly needy back then. I don't know that we are now in terms of having to spend time together every day. Uh, back then, we were so professionally driven, and we still are, but back then, like I said, she was on the road a lot. I was never home. And we liked our jobs that much that it was worth it. I don't know that that works for anybody else. And I guess I'm lucky that my wife was in the business as well. So she got it. She got my schedule. She got the travel. She had travel too. So it just so happened that we found the right partner for what we love to do. Let's talk about the, uh, specifics of broadcasting and the way that you approach some things if we can too. Uh, I want to start on the creativity side. And uh, I know you didn't invent teammates in a hat. Uh, I know that was a Jason Benetti thing that, that you guys have used in Cincinnati. But I mean, if you go back to Pawtucket, uh, we always used to love Stump Steve. Um, and kind of the, the way that you would inject personality, fun, creativity into what you did outside just X's and O's. Um, what's your approach to calling a game in that way to make things more interesting than what is just blandly expected? My approach is, in addition to trying to call the game as well as I can, describing the game as well as I can, I want there to be a few moments during the course of the broadcast where somebody in their car goes, huh, I didn't know that, or just laughs, or something. So some of that comes about naturally if you've got a sense of humor and your partner has a sense of humor, but also if you can come up with a few things like that where you can go to the well and people know to expect it and they like it and you're kind of known for that. I think that's a good thing if you can develop things like that. So I think that's important. I want my audience to have a few moments in every broadcast if they can and if I can where they are amused or uh, just just that there's something that's memorable aside from describing a great play. Where's that come from? 
where do you find the things that how do you have aha moments where things uh, turn into what can be that on the air for you I don't know. Um, sometimes it comes from your research. Sometimes it just comes from your own brain. Sometimes it might be pop culture that connects to something that's happening with the opponent. It's any of that. It's all of that. Um, I think that's a very individual thing. It's some things trigger thoughts in my brain that, that work for those kinds of things. Maybe I am, maybe I look for it a little bit more than others. Um, Probably, because that is a real goal of mine, to try to find a few moments like that in every game that will be memorable. How about the presentation side of things? Uh, when you listen to you, uh, you just you sound smart, if that, makes, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like You've got a very deliberate, I don't want to say academic, because that, that almost sounds negative, but like a, an academic sound to you. I sound like I'm turning on the radio and... Like I'm, I'm like you're going to town, like you're going to, to class huh. with a professor of the sport that you're listening to. Um, where does your delivery and just the way that you talk and broadcast huh. come from? How did you find that voice? Well, nobody's ever said that to me, so I take that as a compliment. So thank you. I, I, I appreciate that very much. I think that we all sound like the people we grew up listening to, whether we try to or not. So I grew up in the Buffalo area. The sportscaster of my childhood was the legendary voice of the Buffalo Bills, Van Miller, who did everything in Buffalo when I was a kid. So he was on the 6 and 11 o'clock news on the CBS affiliate. He did the Buffalo Braves when they existed. He did the Buffalo Bills. He hosted a weekly quiz bowl show. It's academic. So you could not turn on the TV or radio in Buffalo and not hear Van Miller. So I have never tried to pattern myself after Van Miller in any way. And yet, I'm sure if you pop on a tape of him calling a Bills game and pop on a tape of me covering a Bengals game, there are probably a lot of similarities just because that's what I heard when I was in those formulative years. And just the way that he described things is probably the way that I describe a lot of things. I could be wrong. I haven't listened to Van in a long time, but I'm guessing that that would be the case. And I I just think that that's probably true of just about anybody in this business. If you grew up in Southern California listening to Scully and become a baseball announcer, you're not going to be as good as he is, but you probably use a lot of his phrases. You probably have an anecdotal style because that's what you heard. That's what you loved. And subconsciously, that's kind of what you try to do. Did you ever do any voice work, voice training, things like that to to hone the mechanism? No, I haven't. I did uh, have a news director in my early TV days that suggested that I might want to, which kind of surprised me because I never really thought of it as a weakness. Haven't necessarily thought of it as a, as a great strength, um, but Why not? I've never a great strength. Yeah. If you're not Paul Keels or John Sterling or somebody with a voice of God. Aren't you always jealous of somebody that has one of those voices? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so I I don't think mine is bad, but it's not Paul Keels. Fair enough. Um, What's good radio to you? If you turn on a game, um, you know what, let's change that. What's great radio? Uh, When you turn on a game, not this is good, but this is great. What sets off those, uh, those sparks in your brain? There are a lot of different ways to be great to me. Uh, Kevin Harlan is great 
And he does something that I can't do. He paints such a vivid picture. He describes things that I can't see. I mean, he will describe the holder spinning the laces before a kick. I don't really see that. I'm not, I should have asked him, does he really see it or is it just theater of the mind? I'm not sure. Some, my, most of the stuff that he describes, he does see. Um, but it's incredible the amount of detail that he gets into his call of a football game or a basketball game, whatever he's doing, particularly on radio. So he's great doing that. Then you listen to Greg Papa doing an Oakland Raiders game, and it's a completely different style of great. It's great, but it's a different great. In his case, he has an analyst, the former coach, Tom Flores, but he doesn't need one because he is doing this football 101 thing as a play-by-play announcer that I can't do. So he is describing while the play is happening the X's and O's behind that. It's incredible. So there are different ways to be great. I admire guys that are unique, that do it a little bit differently than anybody else. Like I said earlier, I think my style, I I kind of try to combine those different approaches. So I try to have as much detail as I can do while also having maybe a little bit more of an anecdotal style. So I try to hit the sweet spot for what I think I'm good at and what I enjoy as a listener. If I can loop it back toward what we said at the beginning of things and in terms of preparation and what your week looks like, mm-hmm. um, how much do you go back and listen back to games? And obviously you've got a lot of them, particularly in the, in the heavy seasons. Uh, in terms of striving to be great and always be better, uh, what's your regimen for uh, self-critique, self-review? I will listen back to at least some of every game that I do. So... When I'm in the car, I'm either listening to a podcast or I am listening to a broadcast. I rarely listen to music or the radio anymore. When I exercise, I'm a runner, so when I go out for a run, I'm listening to a broadcast. It could be my own. It could be next week's opponent. I will often listen to their game on the radio in addition to watching the video to try to pick up stuff. So uh, I rarely listen to my entire game, but I will listen to some of it. And as I said earlier, after listening to Kevin Harlan today, I will do it more with a checklist in mind going forward than what I've done in the past, which is just kind of listen to it and see if anything stands out. What's on your what's on your checklist? Like what 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 do you do that you like? What do you do that you don't like? Uh, There are times that I get lazy. Uh, There have been times where. I think we all do that, too. It's, I mean, yeah. it, like you think about it, it like we should be dialed in, but it's, right. it's hard to be that locked in for four hours, which is what makes those guys so great. Correct. And when Kevin Harlan said in his seminar today, every play, any play, that is a great thing to keep in mind yeah. because you never know when the ball is snapped if that's the play that the game is decided on. So you really try, have to try to keep that focus for the entire game. And I try to, but I, I don't think I do it as well as he does. Hopefully I can going forward. But I, I think if I do have a checklist approach, it will be attention to detail. Am I being as descriptive as I think I need to be? Um, am I missing anything obvious? Am I being repetitive? I think those would be good things to, to keep a checklist for. When you get ready for football season now, uh, as we sit here and record this, it is June 25th, I think, off the top of my head, or June 24th. Um, 
where are you in your prep? Like, what is, what's an off season? Like, how do you organize yourself before uh, training camp ever starts so that once it gets wild, you don't feel like you're underwater? I haven't done anything with my opponents yet other than just reading magazines and just the normal work you would do of staying up to date on the NFL, reading the MMQB and stuff like that. But in terms of the Bengals, uh, I've attended all of the OTAs and minicamp practices that we're allowed to attend. So when I'm doing that, I've got a notepad and I am just writing down observations. So particularly with guys that I've never seen before. This something about this guy stands out. I'll write it down. I will convert that to a computer file about that guy eventually. And that is what I'm doing for the Bengals right now. Uh, their most recent mini camp concluded about a week ago. They will not be back at Paul Brown Stadium for training camp until late July. So this is my biggest stretch of time off during the year. So I went on vacation with my wife and son last week. Um, and I will take some vacation time between now and the start of training camp. But I will also spend some time doing some Bengals-related prep work, blogging, uh, stuff along those lines leading up to training camp. Yeah, how much of your job is all that other stuff now, too? You do, you've always done a blog. Has it still heard it from Horde, or have you changed the title and all of this? Um, well, I still have that as kind of a place to put all of the blogging that I do, but I blog for the Bengals website, um, and it's not under that name. I blog for the University of Cincinnati, and I guess they still use that that name for the stuff that I post on their website. And then I've done some writing for The Athletic recently, mostly Cincinnati Reds-related stuff because I fill in for them from time to time. Um, So I've got different places uh, that I blog, and and I do still kind of take all of it and, and eventually put it under that Heard It From Horde name. What do you do in a blog sense uh, that you can't, what kind of outlet does it give you that's different? Um, And then video content too. I know uh, at least the Bengals ask you to do a lot on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are the other demands of your time professionally? It's changed a little bit. So when I first started working for the Bengals, they have a, a guy that's been their website editor forever, Jeff Hobson, who is prolific I mean, nobody works harder and cranks out more material than he does. It's like having a a five-man staff uh, because he's just so good at what he does. But uh, when they hired me, it was uh, with the understanding that I would contribute written content to the website, and I have, and I do. But last year... Uh, I started doing more podcasting and less writing. So I did two Bengals podcasts each week, one that was kind of a review of the game that that was just played that I would get posted on Sunday night, and then another that was a look ahead to the upcoming game that I would get posted on Thursday morning. And I plan to continue doing that going forward. I'll do some writing, but... It's impossible to do as much writing as I used to do and also do these two podcasts. How do people uh, find you, find your podcasts, uh, find your blogs, find you on social media? What's the easiest and best way to track down uh, Dan Horde? Uh, Not difficult to do. If you uh, follow me on Twitter, I usually post links to anything that I've written. Uh, The podcast is called the Bengals Booth Podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher. Podbean, Google Play, wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. Um, There are spots on the University of Cincinnati Athletic website where you see a little picture of me and you can click it and find all my written content. So it's pretty easy to find. Dan, thanks for sitting down. This was a a blast. It's one I've wanted to do for a while, so I'm glad we were able to, to finally make it happen. Me too. Thanks for having me on as a guest. 
That is Dan Horde. Many thanks to Dan for uh, sitting down and joining us to do this. Uh, again, as I mentioned on the top, uh, one of my favorite people in this industry when people talk about uh, folks that you admire their work of, like, who do you like to listen to? Um, Ian Eagle, for me, is always number one. Dan Horde is uh, somewhere in that uh, grouping, that top-of-the-list grouping of guys that I like to listen to, guys that I think do a good job, and guys that uh, I will always kind of stop and and listen to if I have the opportunity. So uh, glad that we finally had Dan on this pod. Uh, To find him in the media of a social variety, uh, at Dan underscore Horde, H-O-R-A-D, at Dan underscore Horde, or uh, we mentioned the Heard It From Horde blog. Uh, He still links to it in his Twitter bio, his ML blog. Uh, and yeah, he posted last on this one, July 10th, 2018. So that's the right one. Uh, heard it from Horde. DanHorde.mlblogs.com is where you can find uh, his musings as well. And then as he mentioned, uh, you can find his stuff on the University of Cincinnati website and you can find writings and uh, video and such on the uh, Cincinnati Bengals website from him as well. Um, many thanks again to Dan. We'll talk to you next week. Tour to NFL continues. Mick Mixon will be our guest of the Carolina Panthers. Much more to come in the coming weeks here on PXP Cast. Until then, see you.